Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. Amen. Thanks, Chris. How are we going, everyone, today? Good, good to be together. It's wonderful. Sun's shining. As everyone's, you know, enjoying that and getting a bit more summer, which is great. We are in a series where we're launching the year. Uh, we're called Renew, and we're stepping into the mission of God. And it's something that we're going to be focusing on over the next few weeks. And we've already been doing that. We looked at in the first week that it's God's mission that he invites us to participate with him, with his mission of seeing people come to know him. And we get invited to step into the mission of God. He has a mission and a purpose for each one of us. And last week, uh, then we looked at prayer and we looked at the practices of prayer and worship. And we looked at the, the, the foundation piece that stepping into the mission of God begins with intimacy with Jesus. It begins by cultivating a deep and personal and ongoing living uh, relationship with God. Such an important thing. And it's one thing that uh, we never arrive at that. We, we go through different seasons and different times in life where we might have a sense of closeness uh, to God and we can hear the things that he has for us. And there's other times where maybe uh, it's a bit more difficult. And yet God invites us to continue to come into his presence. And it's beautiful that we've been able to do that today. Centre in on him and come before him in surrender as the living God and say, God, what is it that you have for us? What is it that you have for me? And how can we step into the mission of God? And today we're going to be looking at the next part of that missional framework that came out of my doctoral thesis around live. What does it mean to live our faith? And I wonder if you've considered around the life and the teaching of Jesus and also the behaviour of the early church and how that has changed the way that we live at our faith, how it's changed the way that we participate in God's mission. Because what Jesus brought when he, when he inaugurated the kingdom of God, when he came from heaven to earth, his teaching and his values, they changed the way how hospitality, compassion and care was thought about and acted upon in the first century or the Greco-Roman world. He really kind of changed uh, the game in terms of how people were treated. There's a guy by the name of Alvin Schmidt, and he's written a book, How Christianity Changed the World. And we're introduced to this by Carl Fays and the Olive uh, Tree Media guys when they were looking at their Jesus the Game Changer series. And, and Carl introduced me to this book and this author. And uh, in, in this book, How Christianity Changed the World, Alvin Schmidt talks about the fact of how Jesus actually literally changed the cultural landscape in the first century. Because there's this um, language in, in the first century, there's these sort of two words, liberalitas and caritas. And in the first century, uh, the, the Romans lived by what was known as liberalitas. Uh, it was very uh, transactional. Uh, the life uh, that you lived was one that was based on, if I do something for you, then you can do something for me. If I'm going to do a favour for you, then I'm going to call that in and cash that in later down the line. So you would kind of constantly trade with people in that way. Very transactional and often what you could get from a situation. That's liberalitas. And that's how the first century worked. Uh, when you think about uh, the value that was placed on human life. 
It's probably not lost on any of us that in Rome, they have the Colosseum. And in the Colosseum, people fought to the death for fun. It was sport for them. So the value on human life, maybe it wasn't the same as the value on human life that we place today, when you think about it from that perspective. So liberalitas was a value of the day in the first century. But what Jesus did is he brought in another value, which was caritas. And caritas is saying that I want to serve you, I want to love you, I want to care for you, and I don't actually expect anything in return. It's a posture of grace, and it's a lifestyle where you know that you have a a higher power for us, a living God that fills us so that we can then care and serve others and we don't need anything necessarily in return. So the Romans, they practiced liberalitas. That was the culture of the day. The value that was placed upon you in society, it wasn't based on who you were. It wasn't based on your character. It was rather, what could you give? What could you offer society? And if you could offer society something really great, then your status was elevated, you probably traded well, you probably lived a good life. But what happens if you were sick? Or what happens if you were disabled? Or what happens when the years started to go past and you got a little bit older? Your value in society would drop and therefore what you could offer wasn't as great. And in the Roman culture, That meant that you were discarded. It means if you couldn't produce, then you didn't get a look in. So I'm guessing in some ways, maybe some of us, a quiet moment of reflection, where we are now or maybe into our future, we probably are really grateful for the values that Jesus brought in. The values that are still baked into our society today. We have a Judeo-Christian worldview still Uh, in in how uh, our society has been shaped up. And that is from the person and the work of Jesus. It's really interesting, you know, in terms of today, when we think about care and compassion, when we think about something like, um, say, take our healthcare system in the Western context, uh, the questions that we have more around are, oh, how much should the government assist or where can I get the care? And we have a framework of you know, Medicare and NDIS. We have a public hospital system. We might lament that at times, but we actually have it. That comes from the values that Jesus brought in in the first century, living out caritas. If the Romans kept ruling the world, as soon as you couldn't bring something to the table, you were discarded and that was the end of it. So in the first century, the way that Jesus lived and the values that he brought in were so very significant. And the early church became leaders in caring for, the, for those in their culture who were in need. Not just people in their gatherings, but people in the wider society. In Acts 2.45, it says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. In Romans 12.13, it says, share with the Lord's people who were in need and practice hospitality. In Romans 15, 7, Paul says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And in Hebrews 13, 12, the author says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. He says, Why? Because you might be entertaining angels in your midst. So hospitality and care and compassion, these are values that came into the early church and they came from the person, the work and the teaching of Jesus. 
So the early church, they cared, they served the poor, they lived with compassion and hospitality because of what Jesus taught them. So let's go back to the start of Jesus' teaching. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Luke 4. Because in Luke 4, Jesus, in many ways, this is him going public with his ministry. And as he goes public with his ministry, what he's doing is he's saying to the people there and also, you know, sign um, pointing into the future, this is what is important. So just a little bit of context here. Jesus was in the region of Galilee. He was on his way back home to his hometown of Nazareth. And after being baptised and spending some time in prayer and fasting, much like we are doing now, he was being tempted in the wilderness by the enemy. And in verse 16, it says this. It says, He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone on the synagogue were fastened on him. In verse 21, he began saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is a big moment in the life of Jesus. This is a big moment of him going uh, public in many ways. So in the first century, he went into the synagogue, <clears throat> excuse me, as his custom. So it was a regular part of his rhythms. We spoke, <clears throat> spoke about that last week. And what did he do? Uh, he unrolled the, the, the messianic um, scripture from Isaiah 61 and he read it out. The scroll unraveled. He found this place. And everyone in that synagogue knew exactly what that meant. So when he'd finished, the eyes of everyone there were fastened on him because they were thinking, this is outrageous. Aren't you that lad, Joseph's boy, that carpenter? And you're now making a messianic claim? So that's a really significant thing that he's doing here. He's saying that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. And the second thing that he's really highlighting, which is really significant, is he's saying that as the Messiah, he's focusing on what he will do. He's saying that the Messiah will have a bias towards the poor, prisoners, blind, and the, the oppressed. And these verses can be interpreted both physically and also spiritually. But then the controversial bit is when he says, today this has been fulfilled in your presence. Verse 21. Jesus is claiming the mantle of the Messiah. Such a significant moment. And while he's uh, making this uh, statement about being the Messiah, which, by the way, the people were waiting for for a long time, and when he makes this statement, this truth claim of him being the Messiah, this long-awaited person that they'd all been waiting for, he also announces the purpose and the intent of his ministry. The purpose and the intent of his ministry are to those in need within society, those with both physical and spiritual need. And what he's essentially saying, he's saying for hundreds of years, people have been disregarded. We're living in society in a culture where if you don't produce and if you don't have value and worth, you are pushed off to the side and ignored. And do you know what Jesus is saying in that moment? He's saying, 
I see you. He's saying, I see you. You that have been discarded, you that have been marginalized, whether you're a woman or whether you're a child, whether you're elderly or whether you're sick. Those of you who have been pushed to the margins of society, Jesus is saying, in this moment, I see you and you are important to me. And I wonder today, 2,000 years later, do you need to hear those words from the Messiah? Today in your heart or in your life, do you need to hear those words from Jesus where he says, I see you? You might be in the room, you could be online, you could be a very long way away from Mobbury North in Adelaide, but you need to hear that Jesus says, I see you. It's important that we understand who the Messiah came for and what his intent in life was. And there's many instances as you read through the Gospels. I just encourage you as we're going through this season of renew, just pick up a Gospel, read your way through it and see where Jesus notices people constantly pulling people from the margins into the centre, constantly saying, I see you. In Luke 8, It's an example of him seeing a couple of people. He uh, steps into a crowd in Luke 8 uh, from verse uh, 40 and and there's a big crowd around him. It says in the text that they're crushing in on him and as he's walking through the crowd, he feels power go out from him. There's a lady there who's been bleeding for 12 years, trying a number of different pathways, uh, medical healing, but couldn't find a way and Jesus experiences his power going out from him and he turns around and says, who touched me? The crowd is pressing in on him. And then he has this uh, moment with this uh, lady, this lady who by rights probably shouldn't have ever been there. And uh, in verse 48, he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. In that moment where she had probably not been seen for a very long time, Jesus says, I see you and you have a place with me. And in that same moment, there was a guy there by the name of Jairus, who's a powerful synagogue leader, and his daughter had just passed away, and and he'd got Jesus' attention as they were working their way through the crowd, and then Jesus' attention got diverted to the lady who'd been bleeding uh, for 12 years, and then it went back on to Jairus, and and in this moment, uh, a religious leader, someone of prominence and significance, he says, I see you. He notices him in that moment. And he tells him to have uh, faith. And, and uh, in verse 50, he says, do not be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. So whether you are someone experiencing sickness or you're a religious leader of the day, spanning both those spectrums, Jesus in that very moment is saying, I see you. And he does the same today. See, the bottom line for us is that Jesus cares for all people. And he lived in a way that his actions showed this that he saw people. So I ask you again, do you know that Jesus sees your life? He understands your circumstances. He gets the things that are happening inside of you that maybe you haven't even got the words to share with other people. And his care and his compassion is big. And he wants to wrap his arms around you. He wants to care for you because he can, because he is the Messiah. And he wants to say, I see you. You have a place with me. You're welcome with me. Come and journey with me. Bring me into those places and let's do that together. 
Another key passage that helped frame up the early church and their ongoing response, a really key passage uh, for them and this commitment to Caritas is found in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus is telling uh, some stories, some parables, uh, stories with purpose and he's talking about the the, the age to come. He's talking about the end uh, times and talking about the judgment day and Jesus paints this picture uh, from verses 31 to 46 where in this parable, he's saying that God is looking out over the people. He's got the world stretched out in front of him and he's separating people to his right and to his left. He's putting the sheep onto his right and he's putting the, the left, uh, the goats onto his left. And the key to this passage is what the king says about why, in fact, he's doing this. So in verses 34 to 36, uh, this is in, in the parable, the, the king says this, "'Come, you who are blessed by my father,' And take your inheritance. The kingdom is prepared for you since the creation of the world. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. And I was in prison and you came and you visited me. And then those on his right, the sheep, they're a little surprised and they push back with a question and they ask, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go visit you? Maybe quite literal, they're trying to ask these questions. And then the king and the point of this parable comes out where God says to the people in verse 40, he says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. You did it for me. If you've been around church for any length of time, these words would be familiar to you. You'd know the three parables in Matthew 25 and you'd make sense of that. But imagine hearing that for the first time when Jesus was sharing that. In a world and in a culture in the first century that was motivated by the value of liberalitas, growing up in a culture where if you had worth, then you were worth something. Or or if you could produce, you had a role to play in society. That was the context of these words. And Jesus is coming in with a new way to live. He's coming in to teach his followers a new way to live. So very important. And what he's teaching his followers in many ways, and I think it it really comes home for us today as well, is what we do on earth really matters. How we live our lives really matters. What we put our value and our time and our resources in, it really matters. The things that God has Uh, brought uh, to our attention about how we can serve and care for those who are less fortunate and disadvantaged or doing life tough, it really matters. It's just not a theoretical construct or or, or a conversation that we can have and then not act on, but how we spend our time and our value and our resources, it really does matter. Or to put it another way, who we have the eyes to see really matters because God, by his grace, is getting our attention for the things that are really important to him. And then having his eyes and seeing the world through his eyes and through his lens, it actually really matters. 
It's, it's, a, it's a thing that can change how we act and how we live. So therefore, to be renewed and to step into the mission of God is to live out our faith in our everyday lives. It's to notice the things that God is doing. I love that Ash just spoke about that for the young adults. And Tim spoke about the importance of everyday faith. And that's essentially what it looks like to step into the mission of God, is to have an integrated and holistic faith, not compartmentalized. We don't do faith on a Sundays and maybe a Wednesday night life group, but we do faith all the time. And how do we have eyes to see the things that God sees? And how do we have the courage to respond to him in that way? So let me ask you, who's in your world that Jesus wants you to notice? Who's in your world that he wants you to serve? So very important. And Rodney Stark, who did a lot of work and writing around the first century, and he wrote this book called The Rise of Christianity. He speaks about the reason for the growth of the early church is really because they lived out their faith. It wasn't something they just talked about, but they actually lived it out. The early church took Jesus' words literally, and they lived in a way that loved others unconditionally, showed mercy, and sacrificed their, sacrificed their lives for the sake of others. And in turn, the church grew. And he says this, he says, the primary means of Christianity's growth was through the united and motivated efforts of the Christian believers who invited others to share the good news. So there's a collective response. There's an opportunity for us to be challenged personally, but then respond collectively as well and to wrestle with the things of God uh, in community. And today, I want to invite up uh, Peter Oxy, who has been on a journey uh, with um, God and with his wife, Jesse and family around what it looks like to live out their faith and to step into the mission of God. So I wonder if you could welcome up Peter. Let's put our hands together. Hello, mate. How are you? Very, very good, Mike. That's great. So, Peter, I'm so thankful that you're willing to share with us today some of your story of faith and with Jesse and with your family as well. But God's taken you on a journey of, um, of noticing uh, the things in your world and caring for others. Do you want to share how that started? Sure, I'd love to. Yeah, God started to draw our attention to overseas mission through our connection to a missionary named Lucy Longdon in Cebu, the Philippines. We first were touched by the story of a grandmother who had to resort to sifting through hospital rubbish bins to support her granddaughter. Jesse and I sent our money over to buy a store and, a local, and stock for a local store, which enabled her to supply the family needs with dignity. Then God called us to go over and see what was going on in Cebu. So Jesse and I flew over and um, we saw what Lucy was doing in the slums. One picture that is still in my mind is a small girl sifting through rubbish on the dump. At the time, she was the same age as our granddaughter. Another experience that developed my passion to reach out to the poor and marginalised was walking into a slum at Pier 4 where the, people, where the police would not go in the night. There were people living in plywood huts with an open sewage drain running through the small path between the shacks. 
at the end of the shacks was a girl living over some pigs. This made a huge impact on me as I tried to process this extreme poverty. Next day we came back to Pier 4 and there was a kindergarten running by, run by Lucy. The children were bright and happy and I could see the love of Jesus shining in the darkest of places. All this ignited a passion that lasts to this day. Thanks, Peter. So and in some ways, God made this personal for you and gave you the eyes to see you know, the, the plight of what was happening in Cebu by even contrasting and comparing that to you know, people in, in your own family uh, back here. And as you said, this is about 20 years ago, right? And this yeah. ignited a passion in you to participate with God in his mission uh, in, in terms of stepping in into God's mission and now uh, running an um, organisation, a business for transformation. So tell us a bit more about those next steps. Okay. Um, well, um, w- during that trip, we, um, we saw that um, Lucy, the work Lucy was doing um, in, the, in the slums and we um, saw um, a kindergarten that was being used um, in a 40-foot container and the landlord was just jacking up the rent every year. So um, we decided to um, purchase some land and with our family and, um, and our business and after that this church sent eight short-term mission teams to help build a community centre there and on another piece of land that was purchased. And so after that busy time, you know, we, we sort of felt a little bit flat. <laughs> and uh, we just loved uh, seeing what God was doing. So um, a group of us from here started to get this idea of business as mission. And uh, Mike Hay introduced us to uh, the leaders of uh, Business for Transformation. And that started a wonderful journey that... Um, we moved into uh, Myanmar and, and all that sort of stuff happened after that. Mm. And there's over a million dollars um, now in, in the fund in Myanmar and another million dollars in other countries around the world. And these loans are lent out and when they're repaid, it's recycled and lent out to other businesses. Yeah, it's great. It's so good. And in, like you said, in multiple countries, um, but God's been doing a real work in Myanmar. And you know, I've been tracking a little bit with you with what you've been sending through. Yeah. But you, do you want to tell us, as you've been participating you know, in that mission and been serving, there's a wonderful leader there as well. And God's been, God's been up to a bit. So do you just want to share some story around that? Yeah, it, it's been a really exciting journey for us. Um, our first uh, trip involved going to, it was about five years ago, to a, to a village. Um, and there was a wonderful guy there by the name of Sorbar Tay. And we sat down and had lunch with him. And during that lunch, they mentioned that um, in Thailand, they were growing three times as much rice as they were. So we um, agreed to sort of support them and and looking at what they could do to improve their their practices. And um, we found a a, um, government field, uh, government uh, agriculture advisor and he was really helpful and um, he asked them to um, grow rice a certain way, supplied the seeds and all of that. And so the outcome of that first trial was that they grew over two times the amount of rice that they had before. And it was really large grain rice and it was certified seed by the government. 
So from there, they um, have now grown into a um, um, education uh, centre for the farmers and also storage of certified seed. And that's changed the whole village. The church has grown. Mm. It's um, a vibrant uh, community now where it was really on its last leg. So it's completely changed the whole place. Yeah, and in the church in recent times, there's been a number of baptisms as well. Yeah, um, as, as you probably have seen on TV, Myanmar's going through a tough time. The, um, the currency has been devalued about 45%, mm. and people are really struggling to put food on the table. So uh, B4T, um, or Business for Transformation, has worked through local churches. Um, last uh, year, they um, handed out um, food hampers, bit like pathway I suppose but they also preached the gospel at the same time over 2,000 people came to know Jesus through that yeah. and there's been church plantings and now there's um, Bible studies and mentoring and it's really growing well yeah so despite what God uh, what's going on in the country God's moving mm, yeah indeed word of encouragement for us you've been at this for 20 years you notice uh, a girl on a rubbish dump in Cebu and it's kind of changed, you know, in many ways, you know, some, you know, how you kind of live and think in, in some ways, like what would be a word of encouragement for us here today? Well, in my experience, I, I, I sort of, we hang on to, Jesse and I hang on to Ephesians 2 verse 10, and we read, uh, we are at God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to, good, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So... I, I think uh, for us, we all need to um, ask for God to show us what those good works are, have the courage to step up to the plate and, and um, go and explore what God has for us. That's wonderful. Isn't this great? Isn't it a wonderful story? Thank you so much, Peter and Jesse. And I know as well, uh, you have uh, beautiful team members that are part of Clovey, that are part of B4T as well. So thank you so much for sharing uh, and being honest and uh, open with us about that. And for me, this kind of just speaks straight into verse 40. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And that is really the question for us to wrestle with today. How do we live out our faith? Uh, for, for Peter and for Jesse, uh, it was a, a move by the Holy Spirit to start to be involved in something. And then it was actually seeing someone who reminded them of someone in their family who doesn't have the same opportunity in stepping into that. And 20 years later, uh, walking through that journey, uh, seeing people come to know Jesus, seeing people fed, seeing people baptised, this is what it looks like to be renewed and to step into the mission of God. So just two uh, suggestions that I want to put before us as I bring things to a close. The first one is we have been pushing and encouraging Clovey groups for a reason. Because faith is best lived in community. It's best lived in community. So we want to encourage every single one of you to be in a group. Life and faith isn't to be pursued individually. It needs to be wrestled with in community. So if Sundays is your only touch point, and if you're not in a group where you're in supported, accountable relationships, please consider what that looks like in your life. Because that's where you ask those questions that Peter has just been saying. 
What is it that God has for you and how do you have the courage to respond? Who are you seeing? What is the, the, the dream that God is placing on your heart to participate in his mission? And what does that look like for you in your stage of life and in your context and with the skills and the gifts and the abilities that God has placed uh, in your life? And the second opportunity I want to put in front of you is our pathway ministry across the road where we serve. It's right here for us, where we can have eyes to see what God is doing in the community. And it might be that you have as little as half an hour or as as long as a day or more where you can serve and you can bless and you can encourage people who are doing life tough. And it might be that you do that with Val and the team at Treasured, which in many ways supports the ministry financially or with Noel and Sarah in the food hamper ministry. You know, over there we serve between 150 and 180 families a day. We partner with over 40 agencies and have a reach of about 8,000 people a month. That is incredible what God is doing. And what we really need is more people from Clovey that are willing to step across the road and align the heart of here to the heart of there and together work in what God is doing. Where we see people in our community who are doing life tough, where we linger and we take those steps that even Peter was talking about from going from handing out these food hampers to having relational evangelists that can share their faith, people that can build community, people that can linger and walk people to a car. It's all so very important in showing love and dignity and hope to people that maybe haven't felt seen in quite some time. So I want to encourage us and challenge us to consider what our investment in Pathway could be. And Noelle's here in our 9am service and she's going to be out at the next steps with the Pathway team after this service. And I encourage you to go and have a conversation with her. Next Saturday, there is an uh, open kind of opportunity for everyone to do a pathway walkthrough. So next Saturday, 10.30 to 11.30, is an opportunity for you to have a walkthrough. Because it might be that you've driven past pathway like a thousand times, but you haven't actually been in. You haven't seen what happens or how it works. And let me tell you, you spend 10 minutes in there, you see how it works, it's going to change. It's going to change you. It, It will. And we're calling on followers of Jesus who are prepared to give up time to serve the least of these, the disadvantaged and the broken, the lost and the hurting in our community. And it might be that God takes you on a journey serving in pathway. You might end up like Peter and Jesse serving overseas and that's a beautiful thing as well. We want to put this opportunity before you because the Western world and countries like Australia were different because of what Jesus taught about caring, caring for all people and also the obedience of the early church. And Clovey, now we have an opportunity to be renewed and to step into the mission of God and to live out all that He has for us. Let's pray together.